All right. Welcome back to the latest and the greatest of the Blue Brothers Sportscast. Real talk, real fans. We bring you Michigan football each and every week. I'm Caleb, and with me is Brandon. And, hey, guys. And soon I will be able to be like, as always, Brandon. <laughs> I, we're still in that uh, new phase, I would kind of say. So Yeah, we're slowly getting there. Yeah. It, by, by the time the regular season gets around, it'll be like, you know, old news and all that. And we'll be prepped and ready for the regular season because the regular season is always that. Uh, I don't, it, it, you, you can call it a grind if you want. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that's when most of the work comes in. So, but we do come here for it each and every week. And uh, the thing that we've been doing, which uh, Brandon will be. I will be handing over to Brandon is our new segment of the did you know we're here to enlighten and to bring up your intelligence with the best the latest and the greatest weird things that we can find on the internet so uh, we never (laughs) tell each other what we're talking about ahead of time so I'm always interested to see what Brandon digs up so all right um yeah this week's did you know is uh did you know that when flamingos are born, that their all their feathers are gray, and they don't become pink until they start eating shrimp. Oh, you know what? And that's why flamingos' f- feathers are pink. It's because of the brine shrimp that they eat. I think I've heard that before. That uh, that kind of sounds familiar. Like uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have really thought like that they were gray. Maybe just plain white or whatever. But um, I think I, well, at least I heard that they eat shrimp. Maybe not mm-hmm. that that was the cause for the pink. But I think yeah, I apparently that. there's like some kind of, um, there's something that the shrimp eat that contains some kind of uh, pigment or whatever that makes the shrimp pink and then in turn makes the flamingo pink. So if a person eats too many shrimp, do they turn pink? <laughs> Maybe. Like what? What was it? Isn't it like some that people say if you eat too many carrots or something? Or yeah, you can turn orange. Huh. Interesting. I don't know if I would really want to try it, but I also <laughs> I'm I'm wondering if it depends too if it has to be uh or if cooking the shrimp. I'm sure that probably like affects that. Yeah, it probably might kill off the the organism or whatever that's in it. Yeah. So okay, interesting. Interesting. So yeah, there's a new did and that uh one kind of does sound like it'd be a uh a trivia question. I can mm-hmm. see I could see that on some like trivial pursuit or something like that. So that was a good one. I like that. Um I always try to think if there's like some tricky, clever way that I can transfer that into uh the next thing that we're gonna talk about, but I don't know how to transfer shrimp and pink <laughs> or flamingos into anything. So um, but we are going to go ahead and talk about, um, the Michigan specific part of this podcast, uh, football podcast is going to be this next part where we talk about, uh, Karan Higdon specifically, um, because of the players that sat out for the peach bowl and, mm-hmm. uh, the scene, uh, we're recording Saturday night here, different things going on this weekend. And actually we're going to record next Saturday night too, because it's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but he sat out the peach bowl, but he played in the senior bowl and, you know, he's 
going to be going into the draft and things of that nature. So there was a lot of drama feedback and things like that from people when um, Higdon uh, and the other players sat out the bowl game. And yet here he decided to do the senior bowl game. And I, I said originally too, it was just like, look, honestly, you know, it's their decision. And, you know, frankly, anything I think or say is not going to make a difference. Um, but now on the hindsight of things, we can look back at it and kind of be like, okay, what, what do we think of it? So, uh, I'm going to lay it out. I know that Brandon and I were kind of chatting about it throughout the day a little bit, but, um, the results from his performance, there, there are two things I want to share here. I'll start with his quote, actually. Uh, if you read, now I'm wanting to make sure. I, uh, the Detroit Free Press uh, talked with, uh, put out a quote from Higdon uh, a little while ago, a few days ago, something like that. And he was quoted as saying, uh, taking an excerpt here, Higdon said his playing in the Senior Bowl this week in, uh, in order to show he's, quote, an every down back, who can play all phases of the game, come in in any element, play special teams, and do whatever the team needs me to do. So that's what Higdon said he was playing in the senior bowl for. So then we go to the post-senior bowl, which was early today, and look at his stats then. And his stats are five carries for 18 yards. So, Brandon, I'm going to put it to you first on what do you think of all of this now after the fact, you know, he sat out the bowl game, decided to do the senior bowl. Was it worth it? Should he have done it? Uh, We've also chatted and most likely uh, all things point to him probably being at the combine. I don't know if that information is, uh, public yet or anything, but I don't have anything necessarily to back that up. But what are your thoughts now after the fact? Uh, I mean, ultimately, ultimately it was his choice uh, to sit out the Peach Bowl. But for me, it, I kind of questioned it to begin with because, you know, it made sense for Gary and Bush to sit out because, you know, they're probably going to be first or, you know, first or um, second round picks. But with Higdon, you know, as much as I liked Higdon, I was like, I just don't see his skill set transferring to the NFL as well. You know, I was thinking maybe he'd be like a fourth or a fifth round pick. And to me that, you know, I'd want to put more tape out there, you know, play against a, a good quality team like Florida was. And then to sit out that game and then play in the senior bowl, like usually the guys say they don't want to play in a bowl game because they don't want to get injured. So why are you going on and playing in the senior bowl? Yeah. And then, like, I watched it today. He really didn't do all that much. He had one nice run where um, he started off as a read to the left, and then he cut back in, went to the right. Uh, and it, I think he got about five yards out of it, but it just it showed his vision, that he's got good vision. But, you know, as far as, like, you know, the, the strength and the speed, I just don't think he has enough of it to be a great NFL running back. I think he'll probably have a career kind of like Michael Hart did, you know, kind of bounce around a little bit, um, be productive when he's in the game, but he's just not, he's not going to be a star. Not, not a game changer. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm on your side as well with this. Like, you know, I already said it, it was his decision. Um, I do. And my thought process, and he mentioned it as, uh, labeled it, I believe specifically as a business decision, which I was saying, I, I can't really blame the guy because he, he, he does look like he's going to be later rounds. I mean, who knows, maybe he'll drop to like free agency or whatever, but he was there. Um, he saw what happened to Jake, Butt, and he's seen some things that have happened to other players. Um, I do. It, it is kind of weird for me because I'm uh, essentially kind of, I think you were saying it this way. Like if you're going to try to build your stock, you have a better chance of doing that in an actual bowl game mm-hmm. than the senior bowl. Um, because they always mix so many different players in there and everything. And, you know, five carries for 18 yards is not really going to do a whole lot and really expand your portfolio or whatever you want to say. Right. So, so I don't really like if you're going to sit out the peach bowl, I would kind of say probably sit out the senior bowl. I don't really see any point to that because I, and I mean, he didn't, I didn't see specifics of him saying this, but I think it leaned on, you know, essentially if he got injured in the peach bowl or the senior bowl, then, you know, his, he was going to drop significantly because people are going to be like, well, he was going to be a lower end player anyway. So why should we even take a risk on him if he's going to come in injured and we don't know how he's going to recover? That's, that's the part of it that makes sense to me where it's just like, Hey, if he risks it and he does get injured, then people might not bank on him. And that is a very steep hill to climb to try to get out of, try to get out of that hole. So I kind of get that, but uh, it very could have easily happened in the five carries that he had in the senior bowl. And those five carries showed absolutely nothing. So, um, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm telling, uh, telling him what to do or anything, but my thought is like, if you're going to set out the peach bowl and especially seeing hindsight, what happened in the senior bowl, it's just like may, may as well set out both. It's, it's not going to be beneficial. I see in any way for him to have played. I, I don't, I don't think anyone is really going to bring up his participation in the senior bowl as any kind of highlight or anything. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you also have to think too, like he, he's definitely going to get an invite to the combine uh, just being from Michigan and, you know, all the stats that he had in college, he'll get an invite. And um, I mean, that could have been the platform we could have used too to show teams like the value and, you know, the ability that he does have, uh, it just, it just seems like contradict, I guess. If I'm going to sit at the bowl game, but I'm going to play in a senior bowl. It just, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. We're both kind of on there and everything. So I know that we had some people that shared their thoughts on that. I know, of course, I mean, we both know well enough being on social media that we saw a lot of people kind of upset by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it is what it is. If you guys, uh, want to share any thoughts by all means, feel free to let us know. Um, I'll do a quick plug here actually to, uh, to mention next week. So a week from tonight on Saturday night, we're going to be recording the episode for the next week after that, which will be following the Super Bowl. We're going to do our 2018 review, uh, just overlook of the whole season and everything. So if you have any, um, thoughts on the game or well not the game the games or how things went player anything from 2018 coaching changes 
uh, anything of that sort, by all means, if you want to call and leave a voicemail, we'll be talking about that uh, from everything basically that took place between September and now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to give you guys a heads up about that. Um, that's always open for you guys. And we want to give you guys a heads up so that you can call. And so if you're going to call, you need to call before, uh, I'd probably say like nine o'clock Saturday, uh, next week. So just to be safe so that we make sure that we have it in time and that we can, uh, get things ready for recording that night. So, um, to continue though with, with, with the talk and everything, and this is, this is going to be Michigan football related, uh, but not specifically, I guess I would say, but something that, uh, Brandon and I have been chatting back and forth about, you know, just talking sports and everything. And <clears throat> that's really kind of how this podcast came to fruition is just like, you know, we're guys, we talk about sports a lot. And so it's just like, Hey, why not just sit down, record your thoughts, share your thoughts, get other people's thoughts and everything. And so we were talking and uh, this came up as good um, topic to discuss this week is the drama, the issues, the ups and downs of the early, there's now the early signing period. And then there is the national uh, signing day, which is um, early signing period is December. I'll talk about specific dates, national signing days in February and then the transfer portal stuff that has like blown up this year, but then also when coaching changes happen and how it all affects that. So I'm going to share some information here. Um, cause, uh, I was able to research a lot of stuff and then, uh, Brandon and I are going to discuss this, uh, just kind of like the good, the bad and the ugly and you know, where it can kind of go from here because everybody's heard about some of the big names. I mean, Michigan knows firsthand because, because of Shea Patterson coming in, and uh, the uh, effect of the transfer uh, rules and everything with that. So let's go with the early signing period because that just happened not too long ago. In 2018, the early signing period uh, was December 19th, 20th, and 21st. Um, essentially, just like the regular signing day, you know, they sign the letter. Once they're signed in, they're they're locked in. Like, that's it. Even though there's a second signing day, they cannot change their mind on anything because the letter is signed um uh unless unless the school gives them permission which of course i've no one's ever heard of that happening (laughs) um essentially after that there's about seven weeks until february the first week in february uh which i think is maybe the sixth or something like that is the national signing day then like the official what people are now calling the second national uh uh, signing day because there are now two. Um, and I have, uh, I was looking things up here and actually the, uh, I, I have some information here about when coaching changes have happened because obviously players are going to different places and are heavily emphasized on coaches. That's not everything, but heavily related to that. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm going to share a couple here that, uh, you know, kind of put, put a good point in here. There are a lot of other Division One schools, but I'm going to kind of hit on the main one. So West Virginia uh, changed head of coaches. He resigned on January 2nd, and he was uh, the new one was hired on January 5th. So that's obviously after early signing period. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston fired their coach on December 30th, hired a new one on January 2nd. 
So that also after the early signing period. Uh, Miami, uh, Mark Richt resigned December 31st, and they had the new one December or December 30th. They had the new one December 31st, again, after the early signing period. Um, Kansas State, uh, Bill Snyder retired November 2nd. They hired a new one December 10th. There, that works great. You know, like nine days before early signing period. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to find some of the bigger ones. Um, Colorado Buffaloes uh, fired in November, hired December 5th. Perfect, fine. Uh, even the changes at Ohio State retired December 4th. New coach, coach was announced the same day. Per- perfectly fine. Uh, Louisville Cardinals fired in November, hired December 3rd. Um, you know, th- things of all all this nature where, and I'm just like, this is just kind of at the beginning um, on where all this stuff is happening. So so you're seeing with some of these bigger bigger schools and everything, and I think I'm actually getting into coordinators now, not uh, head coaches and things like that. But you see these changes happening um, both before the nas- early signing period and after uh, the national signing period. So that that's a huge issue with um, – how these things can be affected. And specifically I can share a little bit here because uh, I also found that specific cases with Miami and uh, Houston were kind of interesting because both of them recorded 14 early signees and both of them changed coaches after the early signing period. I mean, 14. Wow. You can't tell me yeah. that at least some of those guys are not like happy and thrilled. Like obviously things in Miami, some people are pretty excited about, but I mean, out of 14 people, it's pretty sure that not all of them are going to be excited to say exactly where they're at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, your, uh, your thoughts, Brandon, I wrote some notes and everything, uh, hearing about that. I mean, here, like even some other crazy stuff too. Here's probably the craziest one. Um, Cliff Kingsbury was fired as Texas Tech at Texas Tech in November, hired at USC as their offensive co- coordinator December 5th. Then yeah. just over a month later, so we're in January, he gets hired as the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> so, like, he he's uh, his effect. Now, of course, being fired in November, that still leaves plenty of time and everything, but, you know, a big blow to USC where it's just like, well, not, well, the recruits and everything where they, they can all get excited about the USC. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, I tried digging into and finding it. He like went through and like totally did a bunch with recruiting and everything as well uh, because he was going to be the new offensive coordinator, got people excited and then gone to the NFL. Not much later. So, your thoughts on kind of looking at that. I've, I've got jotted down some of my own thoughts while I was going through that. Um, and so it's just kind of like your reaction to it. And if you have any concept idea of like what should be different about it, is the early signing period, something that should even exist and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like these, these kids will sign with a school and they're, you know, they got to be thinking, all right, I get to play for this coach. Like, it's like, I love the way he runs his, his team. You know, he, he promised me a whole bunch of stuff. And then, boom, he gets fired or he moves on to another job. And, you know, it's got to be a, just a body blow. It's got to be thinking, 
uh, man, now what happens to me? Like he promised me this and promised me that. And it's like, now, now what's going to happen? And I feel like in those situations that the players, it seems like they should have a way that they can back out. You know, um, it seems like there should be a way that they can be like, well, you know, I wanted to play for this guy. He's not here anymore. Um, you know, this was the main reason I came to the school. And, and you know, it's kind of not going to be all the guys that signed. You know, some of them might want to be there because of tradition or they love the campus or, you know, maybe they loved another coach that was there. Um, or maybe, you know, the style of play is not really going to change between coaches. You know, because they might have a, a coordinator or something that takes over or an assistant that takes over. Yeah. But, and, I mean, in the Kingsbury thing, um, that that kind of just blew my mind. Like, I knew he <laughs> was going to – I knew he was going to be up for a, a job in the NFL. But I was like, dude, why why are you going to, to USC to be an offensive coordinator when you know you're going to be getting phone calls in the NFL? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess job security. You're like, well – you know, I'll take this job at USC. So if I don't get offered a job in the NFL, I got that to fall back on. <laughs> yeah. But it just, it's just kind of shady, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was, well, it's kind of like, uh, did you read up on Dan Enos and that whole stuff about him? Well, what he did at Michigan, he came here and then he was here for like two weeks and then he went to Alabama cause he came from Arkansas and you can't go directly from an SEC school to an SEC school or something like that without oh, some time off or something. And so he went to Michigan for like two weeks. Then he went to Alabama because it was like a loophole. And then rumor is that um, Nick Saban didn't even know that he took the job in Miami. Yeah. They took the job in Miami until after he was gone. So yeah, just like some of those shady things and everything like that. And that's, and that's kind of an interesting thing because there's all this emphasis on the contracts with coaches and essentially these letters of intent are contracts for the recruits. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally on, uh, on your side too. And I, I mean, I think everybody kind of is where it's just like, dude, if that was my, my kid, I'd be pissed. Um, so it's just kind of like, well, essentially you're having them sign these things. So why can't you put something in there to, to count, uh, to work with this? So for instance, um, I've put some extra time into this and everything. So I've got a few things jotted down here. It's just like, and I know, and here's the th- tricky thing too. It's just like, we were talking about using this as a conversation piece. And then all of a sudden I saw some things popping up this week about the same conversation. I was like, dang it. You know, it's probably sharing the, some of the same thoughts, but I haven't read those yet. But the, the concept is specifically with early sign period, it's just like put in there that if uh, the head coach or, the person who recruited this player. So like offensive coordinator, you know, specific linebackers coach, you know, whoever it is like the option of head coach and the player can put in one selected assistant that recruited them. And in there, it says if any of the, if either of these two people uh, leaves or is fired um, between what would have been this past year, December 19th. And, you know, frankly, the next signing day, which is Mm -hmm. in February, then this player is released from their letter. Um, because you know, that's kind of BS and we've seen some situations. I can't call out anything specific because I can't remember the names and the parties and the schools involved, but we've seen some specific things where it is like the day after 
even National Signing Day, that some things have changed. Like they don't want to lose players or something, so then some changes happen right after National Signing Day. I don't think that happens very often. I wasn't able to dig into that as much. But especially with the, the early signing period, which is tricky because the college football season isn't officially done. So a lot of, you know, co- coordinator things and head coaches could still be changing. That there mm-hmm. should be some understanding and okay with that because there still is that second signing time. Now, see, the part of the thing, too, is people are like, well, why, why do people even sign early? It's more of a benefit. I was reading up on that. It's more of a benefit for those three stars, mostly, and some four stars because it locks them in. Like, they don't have to worry about sometimes staff coming in and saying, hey, you know, we got somebody else who's going to be coming in at your position. You're not guaranteed anything anymore. Right. You, you waited too long. Um, and sometimes that happens and everything, and we've seen that. So that's a benefit for them because they get locked in and they're just like, boom, good, I'm in, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm set. And so it, it locks them in, and they want to be able to do that you know, you know, without coaching changes and everything uh, affecting that later. They want to be locked in. But it also is a benefit to uh, the staff for the programs because once they get locked in, so imagine like, a recruiting class, I don't know, I can't remember the normal numbers. I feel like it's anywhere from the high teens to like mid or even upper 20s sometimes what a signing class can be. But anyways, so imagine if you got half or more of your signing class to sign early, then you have that seven-week time period to focus on the ones that you're still trying to get instead of still recruiting 20-plus kids during that time. Yeah. Like that, that is the big thing that I've seen that everybody is talking about the positive for the football program itself. It's like they can get some of them to enroll early, but then also instead of focusing on recruiting 20 plus kids, they're just like, okay, now we have less than 10 that we have to focus on because all these others signed their letter and they're locked in. Yeah, sure. We'll still communicate with them and everything, but we don't have to invest as much time into it because they're locked in and we'll see them when they get here at school. Mm, exactly so there is a benefit both for the players and both for the football program benefit benefit but like i said uh as we all well know there can be those changes which completely totally screws them like sometimes it just happens other times they wait uh, there are specific times where it's kind of like waiting until people are signed and being like okay now we're going to totally change things up and there's nothing you can do about it So, uh, do you see that as being like something feasible? Do you think that that would be a potential solution or that's making it too complicated? Should the early signing period just be gone? Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I don't necessarily think that it needs to be gone. Uh, I kind of like the idea of having something written in a contract saying, you know, if there's a major coaching change that, uh, the student can reevaluate his decision. Um, yeah, you I think really that don't. should be that it should be just simply the head coach or like their main recruiter as well, or or like uh, for instance, like I mean, uh, you were also talking too about how sometimes things can stay the same. Sometimes things can change drastically, like when Lloyd Carr retired and uh, Rich Rod came in. Now, of course, that was ahead of time. People knew yeah. about that, but you know, what if something like that happened? 
after the early signing period. I mean, how how drastic of a change would that be? Uh, I feel like if it affects the recruit in a major way, say the assistant that was recruiting them mostly uh, leaves, then they should be able to make the decision of what what they want to do. Yeah, you know, and I mean, and the other coaches should be able to talk to them too. Just, uh, I I just feel like they should have the option to to leave or stay, whatever they want to do. Yeah, and oh, go ahead. And talking about Kingsbury, uh, saying that shady. Uh, you mentioned earlier that Louisville fired their coach, who was Bobby Petrino. Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear what went down when he was coaching the Atlanta Falcons? Um, I thought I saw something about it, but I don't think I read it. Yeah, he was coaching the Falcons the year that Michael Vick got arrested for the whole dogfighting thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he only he only coached like part of that season. That wasn't his first season, but he only coached part of it. And he decided he was done, and he basically left uh, after one of the games. And he wrote a note to the team explaining why he was quitting. And he left. And then, like, a week later, he had, like, a press conference where he was going to be the head coach of Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Dude, that guy's just bad news all around. Yeah, like, what a jerk. And then the next season, or, like, that season, the Falcons were, like, the worst in the league. The next season, they drafted Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan had a great rookie year. It was 2008. The only reason I remember that is because that was the year that the Lions went 0-16 and they played the Falcons in the first game. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, and uh, also, I can't remember, was it Louisville or was it Arkansas that he got into the whole trouble with, like, being with an assistant or something? Wasn't it him? Um like there was a motorcycle accident. It was with the system. I don't, I I'm pretty sure it was him. Anyways, he's got a track record of issues. So yeah, yeah he, I mean, it's just shady all around. Yeah. So there's, I mean, like sure. Sometimes it's unintentional with some of these coaching changes and things like that. Like it's just nature of the business, but at the same time, some of these things are building up over time and it's just like, you know, something's going to happen. Like the school knows that they're going to fire somebody or it has a pretty darn good idea. Mm-hmm. and they don't do anything about it. And then all these players essentially get or recruits and everything gets screwed. So yeah, it's, and of course, you know, coaching changes can happen at any time. And, you know, you, you can't make this so that's open all the time, but since right. there's the early signing period and most of the coaching changes happen before that, you know, it should, it should leave it open there and everything. So, I don't know if then if we if something like that changes, if you start seeing coaching changes happen after the second signing day, if then you have to put something in there where it's just like, okay, this time period, like essentially if you have coaching changes between December 19th and uh, March or something or whatever, it's just like then these players can uh, change it up and everything. Now, of course, that's a huge kind of a mess and everything, but or or find a way to penalize uh, coaches for leaving, not getting fired, but leaving, and also schools doing firings during a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Like if, if the player, if the recruits and players can get uh, not punished, but you know, essentially screwed over, then you need to reevaluate on letting schools and coaches get away with things. So, like, put 
th- this needs to happen between this time. Otherwise, you're going to get penalized with I, I don't even know what. Like, um, they they are out of their they are no longer restrained by their letter or I don't know lose a scholarship. I don't. It's just like sometimes it can be abused and everything. So it's just like now, of course, there could be special circumstances, which is what we're going to get into here then talking about the transfer portal and kind of discussing and seeing like our thoughts on that. Is it a good thing? What do we think? And all the crazy rules and everything that go into, I'm not going to go into all the rules, but I'll share with you what I've uh, been able to dig, uh, dig up on it. But um, if players want to transfer and everything, you know, because of what's ha- uh, what's happening at school right now, the only way that they can be immediately available, um, set in the rules, is if they're a grad transfer. So there was, of course, uh, people at Michigan are familiar with everything that happened with uh, Shea Patterson because he was at Ole Miss. They did the illegal stuff, um, and they got uh, NCAA restrictions put on them. But they, uh, and so that made it so that he was then able to go to Michigan and play right away, which is not a normal thing because he wasn't a grad transfer. Mm-hmm. So there are special uh, situations that they can do that. And let me see here if I can find, I had. Uh, I mean, an example of a grad transfer would be Jake Rudock. Yeah, Jake Rudock. Jake uh, Jake Rudock graduated and everything. And sometimes players can graduate early. Like, I mean, it doesn't take four years to graduate. Sometimes they can Mm -hmm. graduate early. And that's the same thing. They're graduated. They can transfer. (coughs) Sorry. Um, So uh, there are some weird exceptions, too. I mean, if you go from FBS to FCS or if you go FCS to FCS where teams don't offer scholarships, things like that, that makes sense. Um but players who haven't participated in an NC sport for over two years. So it's not like, Hey, because otherwise when you transfer, you have to sit out a year. So it's not like, Hey, I didn't play at all in 2018. So I should be eligible to play in 2019. No, it's like, even if you didn't play in 2018, you also didn't have to play in 2017. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've got questions about that. But uh, they all, uh, so then uh, exception, like we talked about with Shea Patterson, if the team gets caught breaking NCAA rules, banned from the postseason for the remaining years of the uh, player's career, things of that nature. Um, if a player had their career interrupted due to military service uh, and then medical uh, reasons, like uh, medical redshirt and things like that. Um, and then sometimes they could really honestly kind of say, it's okay for whatever reason. Like they can come up, like they can just say, yeah, we're, we're going to allow this. Like people can fight it and try to make it happen. Uh, for, uh, for instance, who's, uh, shoot, uh, <clears throat> who went to Ohio state? Jake Fromm? Was it? No, no. Um, it was a quarterback from, it was like a backup from Georgia. Yeah. Uh, whoever was, oh, there, there's a quarterback who, who transferred to Ohio state, who's fighting for, immediate eligibility which is weird um it was justin fields he was okay. a transfer from georgia five right. star yeah and and i saw and i heard that supposedly he's fighting for immediate eligibility which 
that that is kind of the part that I don't understand because it's just like and from what I've seen and I haven't really dug into a whole lot, but it's just like okay, so he got passed for the starting position or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's no NCA uh, regulations, bans, not grad transfer. There's no logical reason for him to be eligible to play right away under the current rules. I, there's nothing. There's nothing. I mean, other than he's going to Ohio State. Yeah. So I I don't get it. <laughs> I I don't under understand. Like so. Do you think that this kind of system works? Do you, the the main co- question that I have looming with this because I I think it's good to let them transfer. We mentioned earlier that players can, uh, when we started this segment, that players can enter the transfer portal. It gives them freedom from the schools, like essentially restricting them from talking to other schools and coaches, but they can take away their uh, scholarship at the end of that semester. Um, So it gives a little bit more freedom to players, which I think is a good thing and kind of lets them feel things out. Fine. Good for that. Um, the two big issues that I kind of have, I I understand kind of sitting it out and sometimes there can be, uh, rules and regulation from the schools about going to other schools in the same conference and things like that. Um, if a player has to sit out for a year though, I'm kind of like, okay, who cares if it's the same conference? I don't think they should be allowed to restrict that. Um, and it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like if the player has already not played for the entire year, why should they not be able to be eligible to play the next year? Because mm-hmm. now, now every situation is different, but probably I'd say like 95 times out of a hundred, my guess is going to be that if it's one of the upper echelon schools of college football, like USC, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, those kind of, um, you know, Michigan, any, any of those big football schools mm-hmm. and they're transferring from it. Uh, and they didn't play the previous year. Chances are they're probably not going to be able to get into any of those other upper, upper echelon schools. Like, cause even, um, even the backups, you know, get in and play for several games. But if somebody has been there and they have not gotten any playing time, uh, for that whole year, I don't see any reason why they couldn't be eligible right away because they're probably going to be transferring to those schools like Vanderbilt, Indiana, Temple, you know, the the uh, Duke, you know, those schools that yeah, are or football like school. how we saw um, Thomas Rawls transfer to Central Michigan. Yeah, exactly. And Shane Morris. Right? Yeah, so it's just kind of like I don't really see the reason why they can't be eligible right away uh, if – they already had that year where they didn't play because mm-hmm. it's just like, no, I don't see how a serious program is going to take that a player like that and put them on the field anyways in the first year. If they're not even playing at that other division one school at all. So that that's kind of the thing that I, what are your thoughts, Brandon, from the idea of players having to sit out a year unless they're a grad transfer uh, them being able to have their scholarships taken away and like what what if anything like they should be eligible for any for other reasons right away things like that like we talked about um the Ohio State situation there have been some other things you know uh, and it kind of has a ripple effect because it's just like okay well if one transfers from here 
Uh, so let's say, because we were talking about the quarterback, it's just like, okay, there's a quarterback because uh, Alabama's quarterback went to Oklahoma. Well, okay, uh, all these recruits coming in, quarterback recruits coming in are thinking, hey, you know, I can fight for this position and everything. Then all of a sudden this transfer quarterback comes in and you're like, okay, well, that completely screws everything up, you know, screws all my plans up. So should other players be able to be able to transfer if they do changes like that and everything? Now, sometimes it's a switcheroo or whatever because the what wound up happening is the Alabama – one of their quarterbacks wound up transferring, so it kind of created an opening, so it kind of balanced out or things like that. Like, because at, at a certain point, it you can't make it too big, but the transfer portal is kind of a new, the, the I don't want to say like the sexy word in college football, but it was the new like hot topic of college football because it was just blowing up this year. Um, so what are your thoughts with the transfer portal and, and any any input or feedback? Uh, I mean, I, under, I understand why the rule is there. I mean, it keeps guys from just, you know, transferring willy-nilly, just, well, I just want to go to this school now, so I'm just going to switch over here. Um, I mean, I, I kind of understand that on that point. But, uh, you know, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Like, you're talking about going from a major school to a smaller school. I mean, why why does a guy have to sit up an entire year? Uh, you know, like um, – Let's see. We had guys transfer this year. Uh, Kurt Taylor was one of them, I believe, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I really understand in that point why he would have to sit out. I think he went FCS, maybe. Did he? I, yeah. I, I never saw, never really saw where he went. I can't remember. I was remember just like, you know, he was getting buried on a depth chart. So... Yeah. I mean, if he wanted to transfer and go to like a smaller school or something, I mean, I wouldn't have any issue with him playing somewhere else. Uh, yeah. yeah, and what we were talking about with Oklahoma, uh, a lot of the the issues there started because Kyler Murray decided to go to the NFL mm-hmm. after winning the Heisman, which he was originally just gonna, you know, go to Major League Baseball. So I kind of threw a you know, a wrench in the machine there. So, yeah. And yeah, it was what Jalen Hurts. Is that his name? The backup yeah. from Bama? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's who they brought in. Yeah. And yeah, the coach actually told the recruits that they, he wasn't going to, wasn't going to bring any grad transfers in and then ended up bringing someone in. But I, I guess, you know, we talked about it earlier that he, he did let them know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause with the, with t- the changes with Murray and everything. And then look, I think he said there was another quarterback that transferred to something from Oklahoma. Yeah. But, and and I think they were going to bar him because he was going to another big 12 school. And it's just kind of like, dude, what? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I think the timeline for that went like he, they told recruits, we're not going to get a transfer quarterback. And then I think the whole Kyler Murray thing happened and another quarterback tr- was putting in to transfer. So then they were, uh, the coach went back, Lincoln Riley went back to some of the quarterback recruits and was like, okay, situations have changed. I'm not going back on what I said, but we're doing this now because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So it's not an easy thing to do, but from what I've looked up and everything, he was upfront about it. Um, So yeah, some of those things happen to go continue on kind of what I said and everything. I don't think transfer should be able to uh, affect other people. Like where it's like, oh, well, you transfer here, so now they have more people in this position, so other people should be able to transfer away. No, it needs to be contained. I think this the 
schematic kind of idea with it so far is not too bad. I mean, it makes sense with if a school has broken NCAA rules, you know, essentially it's just like, hey, you know, thanks school slash coach, you ruined my potential high, uh, college career, so mm-hmm. I'm going to get out of here. That makes sense. Uh, the military and medical things make sense. FBS to FCS d- totally makes sense to me too. Um, but like I said, if a player didn't play for an entire year, I don't really see why they would have to sit out. That doesn't make sense. Like even to a specific amount, because even like the red shirt rule, the new red shirt rule where they can play up to four t- uh, games and not lose their red shirt, you know, maybe something like that, where if a player doesn't play in more than two games, because, you know, a lot of times they play those, dinky teams and they get to rotate people in and everything. So it's like, Hey, if your team, if you didn't play more than two games, then you can play the next year right away. If you transfer, um, because kind of, like I said before, you know, the, the good players, the players that are going to be fighting for playing time are going to be, you know, rotating in and they're going to be playing and they're going to be active. Mm-hmm. Um, so they shouldn't be uh, punished for that in my own opinion, but also, you know, most of the, uh, most of the time, if they're going to be transferring like out of conference and, for, uh, I think a good example would be like, let's say an Alabama player transfers and goes to Indiana or Northwestern or Illinois in, in Michigan, uh, in the big 10 or, uh, Ohio state player transfers and goes to like Vanderbilt, uh, in the sec, you know, it's not the upper echelon. It's, it's not, you know, gonna, you know, shake up the whole world or anything. And it's, not going to take a team from not a national contender to a national contender. I, I don't see how that could ever happen with one player um, going to a smaller school like that and everything. So I don't know if they need to like classify it or maybe with those specific things where it's just like, yeah, you can play immediately, but you have to go out of conference. That kind of makes a little bit more sense maybe too, because you know, you're just extending some of these things out. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just kind of like getting long winded with it where, okay, maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it, but sometimes when players aren't playing and everything, why, why does it have to matter about them sitting out a year? It's Mm -hmm. And now I saw an emphasis saying, you know, it kind of forces them to, you know, go through their education, finish their education and graduate. Okay. Yeah. I kind of get that. But at the same time, most of the time, those players that are going to be, <clears throat> transferring and doing that are probably the ones who are going to be having the longer college careers anyways. Like they probably didn't play at all their red shirt year. Um, they're not going to be leaving early to go to the NFL draft. So they're going to be in college long enough for it. So I just, that's kind of where I'm at with that, where it's just like, Hey, you know, if they didn't play a whole lot, kind of like the red shirt rule. Why not just let them and, you know, doing it differently between conferences, but essentially there's so much power given to the coaches and the school. So, and the players yeah. are just there. And what we are talking about with like drastic changes and in, in coaching schemes uh, and transfers that way, uh, the first person to pop in my head was Ryan Mallett. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, he was brought in from Lloyd Carr, and then we switched from Lloyd Carr to Rich Rod. And, I mean, Mallett was a tall, kind of lumbering, slow quarterback with a big arm. You know, he's not going to work very well on the spread, so, you know, he transferred to Arkansas. But, he, I mean, he had to sit out a year. Yeah, and and I know that 
you can't cater everything to meet everybody's needs. But I think anybody who sits down and looks at this and looks at all the rules and everything between the early signing stuff that we've been talking about and, and the transfer portal can admit that it's not set up the best that it can be. Now, of course, here we are. We're talking about this for a while. This is all leaning on the NCA doing something about it. And we know how awful and terrible and laughable that is that we think that they are <laughs> going to be doing anything anytime soon about it. Yep. And w- I mean, would you really be surprised if that new OSU quarterback got the play this year? I would not be surprised at all. I would not be surprised either. I th- I think it's total, total garbage if he does, because essentially it's just because this, and then when it's going to happen where they say somebody can't do it, it's just going to be like, why? Like there, I don't see, and I've got, I need to hear something interesting and compelling for why he's allowed to, if it gets to that point, because it just, th- there's no violation. It's essentially like he law, he's not being able to compete for a starting position. So he's going to go and try to start somewhere else, but he's not a grad transfer. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, dude, you know what the rules are and you went through with it. So guess what? Hey, these are the rules that we've been going by. And that's what you get stuck with. Shea Patterson comes from a school that was affected by NCAA rule violations. Now I find it interesting because apparently people are saying that Shea Patterson, and of course he had to, he had to apply for it or, you know, make his case. Um, still, even though his school kind of qualified under those rules, but apparently some of it may have not met everything. Like, like part of the subcontext is they have to be panned from the postseason for the remainder of the player's career. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, so they were saying some of it, I, I don't, so maybe with what he transferred as a junior right then. So if he had been a senior, it wouldn't have been a problem. It looks like. Right. So that was the issue where he was a junior because they were only bull banned for one year. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Wow. They really dropped the NCAA really dropped the hammer on that one and really, you know, executed their power with that rule. So, yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it's, I, I, there are glaring problems with it. I don't think it needs an overhaul. I think both of them need some tweaks, but I don't see the NCAA doing anything any really time soon. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, if fields gets a play, then Tate Martell should get the play as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Same situation. Yeah, because essentially that's that part where we were talking about, like, the ripple effect. Like, you know, Fields comes in, Tate Martell is like, okay, well, you know, this completely screws me. So, mm-hmm. and, and where did, did Tate Martell go somewhere yet? Uh, I haven't heard anything yet. I just know that he was in the transfer portal. Yeah. Uh, let me see. I'm curious now. Uh, Oh, Tate Martell transferred to Miami. Oh, yeah, that's right. I I, I I forgot about that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, like, absolutely. Yeah, it's just like, hey, you know. But but then you kind of start getting that ripple effect of it's just like, okay, how far does this go? Like, does do quarterbacks then at Miami get a chance to transfer or what? But, no, I totally agree. Like, if they're making this – case and allowing Justin Fields to do it for whatever ridiculous reason they're allowing him to, which I don't see anything viable. 
Tate Martell probably has the same exact argument. Mm-hmm. So I would say so. Yeah. Anyways, NCAA always gets me riled up because they're they're terrible at everything. But I think that kind of covers most everything that we were going to talk about. Did you have uh, anything else or? Um, not that I can think of. I know it's kind of like a an interesting episode because uh, we, we talk college football. We always talk a little bit about Michigan football and everything. But we do also want to talk about the Big Ten and the grand scheme of college football as a whole. So we we didn't want to – I mean, it's a big topic right now. We wanted to make sure to mention it. So, um, But you're all set or – Yeah, I think we got everything covered that we talked about. Yeah, and so if you guys have thoughts or anything or feedback, let us know. Uh, we might not uh, revisit this subject this next episode because, like we said, we're going to be do that, doing the 2018 review. So by all means, if you guys call, uh, leave a voicemail. By the way, we're limiting it to one voicemail per person. And also, we do request that you do like one minute t- target for like one minute um, just because then if we get several voicemails and everything and if everybody takes up the whole amount of time, that's like, you know, a quarter of the episode is just taking uh, voicemails <laughs> and everything. So we want to give everybody their their time but we don't want to take up too much time. So short voicemails, one voicemail per person. If you guys send in two voicemails, we're going to just pick one and go with it. Um, but you can call in at 551-258-3276. Really easy to remember because it's 551-BLUEBRO, B-L-U-E-B-R-O. Um, so one voicemail per person, shorter the better. Uh, let us know about your thoughts for 2018. If you want to talk about the transfer, early signing, and everything, you can leave a voicemail as well. Uh, we'll try to filter out and everything, but it'll be easier if you call in after the next episode. Um, but, yeah, we always are happy to revisit conversations and everything and get feedback from you guys and uh, hear your thoughts on all that. So, yeah, so here recording Saturday night, we talked about the Senior Bowl like we said, next week, do it. Send them in before 9 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. We'll be recording Saturday night because Sunday night is the Super, uh, the Super Bowl. And, yeah, we're just bringing it to you guys every week. So, But uh, we thank you guys for listening. We always appreciate it. And uh, we'll finish. It's supposed to be cold. It's supposed to snow. You guys stay warm. Drive safe wherever you are. We'll finish off with Go Blue. Go Blue.